Well, this morning we come to Hebrews 11, which is, I think, a fitting place for us to end. Uh, if, we would, if we were going on, <laughs> this would be the summary sermon that would lead to some shorter uh, sermons going back through the, the chapter and then continuing on in 12 and 13. But this is a good place to end. We began in June of 2008, our public morning worship. We had been worshiping in the evenings before that, Bible study even before that. Um, we began with three sermons on 1 Corinthians 13 because I believed then and believe now that understanding that chapter is a key for how to live our lives as Christians. But then we dove right into Galatians. And that was on purpose because the, the doctrine of justification by faith alone is, is under attack. And that letter, if nothing else, <laughs> it defends that we are saved by grace through faith alone. Faith being a topic uh, of our opening, it's, a, it's an appropriate topic for, our, topic for our ending as well. Faith. So, we're going to try and look at the whole chapter here. It's a long one, uh, but I think I can read through it fairly quickly. Hebrews 11 is before us. As always, this is God's very living word. Let me read it for us. <coughs> now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was made out of things, not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. 
By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ, of Christ, 1,400 years before Christ. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. A lot going on in this chapter. So I can only give a summary this morning. God willing, it will be a faithful and helpful one. As we come before it, let me pray for us once again. Our Father in heaven, we come before your word now. We ask that you would bless this time that you would fulfill your own promise, that when your word goes out, it does not return to you empty. Instead, it accomplishes everything you purpose for it, and it is successful in everything for which you have sent it. For us, we ask that you would pour out your Holy Spirit in abundance and to overflowing here this morning so that our ears would be open to hear and our eyes would be open to see all that you have for us from your word this morning. In doing so, make it a lamp to our feet and a light to our path that we might walk in obedience According to your word, Father, we ask it in Christ's wonderful name. Amen. What is faith? What is faith? We say faith is essential for the Christian, for Christianity. 
But what is it? What is faith? How do you define faith? We say things like we are saved by faith alone, not faith plus works, not faith plus anything. That's great, and it's true. But again, what's faith? What is faith? Faith is necessary, but if someone asked you, someone off the street, someone desiring to learn, what is faith? Could you, could you answer that question? What is faith? It seems like a simple thing, or it seems like it ought to be a simple thing, but it's one of those ideas in Scripture that, well, it is both simple and complex. At its most basic, faith is something that a child can understand because a child can come to faith and grasp the promises of eternal life in and through Christ. But I'm sure as many of you have experienced, as as we grow in wisdom, as we grow in our faith, as we mature in our faith, we realize that faith has a depth of meaning that is rich and powerful. Something that grows with us and for us over time. So how do we define it simply? Well, faith at its simplest is just trusting in Jesus. (laughs) Believing in Jesus to save us from sin to eternal life. A kid can get that. Kids do get it. Praise God. Believe in Jesus and you will be saved. Believe in Jesus and you will have eternal life. That's simple. But we can expand that. We can expand it quite a bit. Because that simple definition leaves out a lot that as we grow, again, we come to understand is essential and helpful for our understanding of faith. A traditional way of understanding faith since the Protestant Reformation 500 years ago is faith consists of three things. And you've, many, many of you have heard these before. Knowledge, assent, and trust. We need to know who Jesus is and what he's done for salvation and why he's done it. You need to know that. But it's not enough to know it. You have to agree with it. You have to assent to it. He really did do these things, and they really are true, and they really are real. But even that's not enough. Knowing it and agreeing with it isn't enough. You have to trust it for yourself. Demons get the first two, right? James says this. The demons believe and tremble. They know it's true. They agree that it's true, but they're terrified. We claim it for ourselves. That's trust. I trust that that work that I know is true, that I agree is true, is for me. For my salvation. How about some of the helps that our forebears have come up with? The Shorter Catechism from the Westminster Divines. Question 86. What is faith in Jesus Christ? Answer. Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon Him alone for salvation as He is offered to us in the Gospel. We receive and rest upon Christ and His work. We receive it, we rest one of the images of faith in the word picture of that word in Greek is the idea of leaning on something and trusting it to hold you up. We rest upon it. We stop working. We stop trying. We stop making the effort to be right with God because Jesus did it for us. Great answer. We receive and rest upon Christ alone for salvation. Echoes of Ephesians 2 in there. By grace you have been saved through faith and this is the gift of God not of work so that no one can boast. 
The confession of faith in chapter 14 expands on it even more. The principal acts of saving faith are accepting, receiving, and resting upon Christ alone. Now we get into theology. (laughs) For justification, sanctification, and eternal life by virtue of the covenant of grace. You've got to know a lot to understand that. You've got to know what justification is, sanctification is, covenant theology, my goodness. That really begins to expand the idea of faith. The larger catechism, as it's prone to, is much more wordy. Question 72, what is justifying faith? They qualify it with a descriptor. Justifying faith is a saving grace wrought in the heart of a sinner by the Spirit and the Word of God, whereby he, that is the sinner, being convinced of his sin and misery and of the disability of himself and all other creatures to recover him out of his lost condition, no one can help me, (laughs) not only assents to the truth of the promise of the gospel, but receives and rests upon Christ and his righteousness. Therein held forth, in other words, proclaimed in the gospel, for pardon of sin, for accepting and accounting of his person righteous in the sight of God for salvation. That's a mouthful, (laughs) but it's a good mouthful, a mouthful that's full of truth. So there it is. Faith is simple. Believe in Jesus and be saved. It's also very complex and also very deep. So again, I ask, (laughs) what is faith? How do you describe faith? How many of you, when trying to understand what faith is, have done this? I have done it more times than I care to admit. Probably you have as well. What is faith? I know there's a chapter in Hebrews about faith. Let me go right to Hebrews 11. Read Hebrews 11, understand what faith is, and maybe you get caught up and read 12 and 13 as well because they kind of flow neatly from it. And we forget about chapters 1 to 10. (laughs) Right to chapter 11, the great chapter on faith, the classic Bible chapter about faith. And we read this great description of faith that we heard, and some of you probably have memorized. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And we go, what does that mean? That's a, that's a mouthful as well, in a short little sentence. What is it to be assured of things that are hoped for, to be convinced of things not seen? Are the critics of Christianity right? That's just blind faith, hoping for things that you don't know about? Just wishful thinking? Just hoping for things that we want to be true? Myths? Fantasies dreamed up by people living in the middle of the desert somewhere? What are you Christians talking about? Assurance of things hoped for? Conviction of things not seen? That doesn't sound very wise or very intelligent. It sounds very stupid and foolish. That should make you think of 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. But that's a sidetrack. I won't go down. (laughs) And then that statement is read, is followed by all those examples that we read. All those people of faith. What's that there for? How does that help me understand what faith is and what it means to be sure of things hoped for and convinced of things not seen? Why are all those names there? Why are all those examples given? How is that 
an explanation of verse 1. Well, now that we've been through Hebrews 1 through 10, doing things in the right order, and we've been doing that over, believe it, believe it or not, 10 months we've been going through these chapters, 30, over 30 sermons. Of course, the realization hits, as it should, you can't really understand verse 1 of chapter 11 without understanding what's been going before it, what the author's been saying for 10 chapters. So I want to review that a bit here this morning, hopefully fairly quickly. What has the author been saying? How how has he been calling us to faith throughout this whole book up to this point? So that he can get to chapter 11 and say, faith, this faith I've been calling calling you to, is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So let's look at what leads up to that. And then I want to consider that definition in two broad themes or categories. Because I think what the author is giving us here is a description of the characteristics of faith and a description of the character of faith. Or to put it another way, what does faith look like? And how does faith act? It's a little bit of a different approach than just giving a simple definition, as I'll try to illustrate later. So let's look at what came before. The author's been building to this point in this letter, this written sermon, if you will. In chapter 10, which we were just in, he summarized everything he'd said to that point and called us to faith and hope and love, the three topics that dominate the last three chapters of this book. Same as Paul, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. He warned us in chapter 10 about the danger of lack of belief, of continuing in sin, of even falling into apostasy. But then at the end of the chapter, encouraged us, expressed confidence that we, his readers, his listeners, are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed in verse 39 at the end of that chapter, but instead we are of those who have faith and preserve our souls. We are those who have faith. We are those who have the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Previously, the authors called us to faith in various ways at various times in the letter. Just a few examples. At the beginning of chapter 2, he calls upon us to pay much closer attention to what God is saying through Jesus, his Son, so that we don't drift away, so that we don't neglect the great salvation that he's offering to us. Pay close attention, he says. And then at the beginning of chapter 3, Consider Jesus. That's been the title I've used for this series. Consider Jesus. Consider the one who is faithful to his calling. And we, his house, his family, like Moses, need to be faithful as well. To hold fast our confidence. Hold fast to that confidence. Hold fast to our boasting in our hope in Christ. The end of chapter 4, there's the call... Uh, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Strive to enter God's rest. Hold fast to your confession. Draw near to the throne of grace so that you can receive mercy and find grace. The end of 6, after that grave warning, he calls upon us to hold fast to the hope set before us, which is a sure and steadfast anchor. It's a hope that enters into the inner place of the temple, the Holy of Holies, where only the high priest could go once a year. 
enter into that holy place. Go behind the curtain, because Jesus has gone there before us as a forerunner. Chapter 7, verse 25, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. At the end of chapter 9, after he spent several chapters expounding upon Jesus as the great high priest, the better sacrifice than all the Old Testament sacrifices, the author encourages us that this same Christ is going to come again and save all of those who are eagerly waiting for him. And then, as I mentioned, in chapter 10, verses 22 to 25, since all of the foregoing is true, since all of what he said up to that point is true, therefore, let us draw near to God with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Let us stir up one another to good works, faith, hope, and love. So again, we are not those who shrink back, but instead we are those who have faith and preserve our souls. Did you catch kind of some repeated language in there? Hold fast. He keeps saying, hold fast with confidence and with an eager expectation of God fulfilling his promises to his people. Hold fast because Jesus speaks a better word or a better message. Hold fast because he's a better prophet. He's a better priest. He's a better king. And he's a better sacrifice. Because of all these things, by his death, for our sins because of his resurrection to life. He has gone before us into the real holy place, not the fake one, the one that's just a model on earth, but into the very presence of God himself, gone behind the real curtain to prepare the way. He goes as a forerunner. Remember what that word means. He goes as a forerunner to show everybody else the way. He's a scout and we're following. (laughs) But he also goes to announce who's coming behind him. See all those he's saying to the Father? They're mine. They're coming. We've got a house to prepare. Get ready for them. That's the faith that this author is calling us to. Assurance of things hoped for. Conviction of things not seen. That makes sense now, or it makes more sense at least, in the light of everything that's gone before. It's kind of a summary, really, of what he's been saying up until this point. So again, the way I'd put it is this. Faith, faith has these characteristics. Assurance or confidence and then conviction or certainty. That's what faith looks like. Faith does not waver. Think back to chapter 10, verse 23. Faith is certain. Now, do we doubt? Of course we doubt. We struggle with doubt our whole lives. But over time, as we mature, faith begins to conquer doubt And so we have assurance, we have conviction. What do we have confidence in? And what do we have conviction about? Well, the author tells us. We have assurance, confidence of things that are hoped for. So what are you hoping for? Well, it's a confident view of the future. A confident view of the things that God has promised to do for us the things the author's been repeatedly pointing us to, things that we're waiting for God to do. So there's a future element to this hoping for. It's a word, the author uses here a word that made its way into early Christian theological debates, hypostasis or hypostasis. 
it has a range of meaning that's really interesting, and, and commentators debate how it, this word should be translated, what we have as assurance. It's a word that's used throughout the Bible to talk about the essence or nature of something. The very essence, the very nature of a thing. It's the same word we use when we say that Jesus has a divine nature and a human nature. A divine essence, a human essence. And so the nature of faith, if you think of it in those terms, the essence of faith is a view toward the future fulfillment of God's promises. It is of the essence of faith to see God's promises and look forward to them being fulfilled. True faith keeps this promise, keeps all the promises of God in mind, and is a very part of its very nature. The second meaning of the word is, is, a, is as a foundation for things, something that holds up a structure or a building. So faith in this context is the foundation that holds up hope. You can't have real hope without having real faith. Your hope is built on a poor foundation if you don't have faith. It's meaningless hope. It's, it's that wishful thinking that others might have. The fourth idea is, or the third idea is of confidence or assurance. Again, how most English Bibles translate the word. Probably the most technically correct way to translate it. And it does communicate the idea of certainty. Faith is certain about the future. Faith is certain that the God who made those promises is going to keep them. There's, there's no wavering. There's confidence. And the fourth idea is as a, of a guarantee. Faith is a guarantee or a witness to something. It attests to the truth of something. It's like a, a title deed that proves ownership of a piece of property. Faith guarantees that we possess, we have ownership of the promises of God. So which is it here? Well, this author, as we've seen before, is, is <laughs> clever enough and uh, creative enough that I think all these ideas are present. Faith is the essence, or hope is the essence of faith. It's the foundation. Uh, faith is the foundation of hope. It's, it's the assurance that we have. It's the guarantee characteristic of faith is that it looks with confident assurance to the fulfillment of all of God's promises for his people. What's the other characteristic of faith? It's a conviction of things that haven't been seen. So faith says, I haven't seen it, but I know it's true. And that might seem illogical. This is where the wisdom of Christ is folly to the world around us. And again, it may tie to future things that we haven't seen yet because they haven't come. And we see examples of that in in the examples in chapter 11. They haven't seen these future things, all these heroes of the faith. And so that leads us to have a confidence in the present, in the future fulfillment of the promises of God. But I think there's a past historical element of this as well, and it's right there in verse 3. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible, That's not in the future. That's in the past. That's at the beginning. Faith has a conviction of things not seen. And the author begins with the beginning. A conviction that God made this world and he made it out of nothing. Faith begins there. And so you can go through the examples in, in chapter 11. I won't go through them all, as tempting as it is. 
But were you there when God created everything? No, you didn't see it. Neither did I. Did you see Noah building his ark? Did you see the Israelites cross the Red Sea on dry land? Were you there when the walls of Jericho fell? Did you witness it? When Daniel came out of the lion's den uneaten, were you there as a witness? Or as the old song says, were you there when they crucified our Lord? Were you there? Were you one of the 500 plus witnesses who saw the risen Christ after his crucifixion? You and I saw none of those things, and yet we believe every single one to be true. And we have a conviction about it, because that's what faith does. We know it's true. We believe it to be true, because the God who is faithful tells us it's true. God's word is inerrant. Our faith is built on stories that we believe to be true, stories that teach us about God, stories that teach us about his character, his love for his people, how he has saved his people time and time and time again, how he's kept his promises to them time and time and time again. So this conviction about unseen things isn't just wishful thinking. It's not just hoping for things that that aren't true. It's based on reality. It has certainty. It has conviction. So because we know God has done those things in the past, we have every, every good reason to hope. We have a foundation for our hope. We have God's guarantee of our hope. The characteristics of faith are the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. But our author's purpose here, I don't think, is just to give us a definition of faith. And I think, in fact, to call it a definition doesn't do it justice. It's less of a definition and more of a description of the characteristics of, of what faith looks like. Let me try and illustrate this. I can tell you what a human being is. Has a body, has two legs, two arms, a head, certain features that distinguish it from other things that exist on this world. And if I give you a good enough description, you'll be able to tell the difference between a human and a dog or a cat or a fish or a bird or whatever. But have, have I told you anything about people? I've described it, and a lot of these definitions of faith that we have in our catechisms and whatnot are great at describing it so that we can recognize faith when we see it. And that's good. That's useful. It's helpful. But what if I wanted to describe the characteristics of a person to you? Well, now I'm doing more than just describing what a human being is. I'm telling you something about them. What color is their hair? What color is their eyes? How big are they? How small are they? How old are they? What do they look like? And so now I have the characteristics of that person, and hopefully, knowing those things, I can recognize that person from a whole mess of other human beings. That, I think, is what the author is doing for us here with this description. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's the kind of faith he's looking for. But what do you still not know if I've described a person that way to you? You don't know anything about what kind of person they are. Are they a good person? Do they laugh? Do they cry? Are they optimistic? Are they pessimistic? What kind of a person are they? How do they behave? How do they live their lives? You don't know anything about who they really are until you get an idea of of the character of that person. 
You might be able to recognize them on the street from a photo because I described them really well to you, but you don't know the character of that person. And so, really, I think the rest of this chapter is a description of the character of faith. What does faith look like when it behaves? What are its mannerisms? What are its characteristics? The long list of examples, all those heroes of the faith are meant, I believe, to show us how faith lives. James tells us, faith without works is dead. How does faith live? How does it look? What is its character? What does assurance and conviction look like? Well, it looks like people living. It looks like people acting in certain ways. It's, it's the repeated use in this chapter of by faith. They did these things by faith. By faith, Abel offered a sacrifice. By faith, Noah built an ark. By faith, Sarah conceived. By faith, Abraham offered up Isaac. By faith, Jacob blessed Joseph. By faith, Moses identified as a Jew and not an Egyptian. By faith, Moses celebrated the first Passover. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. By faith, Rahab did not perish in that fall. By faith, by faith, by faith. People who have faith act a certain way. And the way they act shows that they trust in God, shows that they have an assurance of things hoped for and a conviction of things not seen. The writer tells us, Verse 39, all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. So their faith had to motivate them through what the author is talking about. Hope and a conviction of things not seen. I've said before around here that to live like a Christian requires faith. To do what God calls us to do. Go back and look at what we read earlier, Luke 6. To live like that with your enemies requires faith that God will honor that and bless it. We know that such obedient faith pleases God. The author tells us this in verse 6. He runs out of time giving specific examples and then just names people. Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets. What did faith enable them to do? What does faith look like? And he's, he's echoing something he already pointed to back in chapter 10. Recall what you went through in your faith. Recall what you endured. Recall what you endured with others. And so there's this incredible description of things that people of faith are willing to do and go through to conquer kingdoms, to enforce justice, to get promises, stop the mouths of lions, quench the power of fire, escape the edge of the sword, made strong out of weakness, mighty in war, foreign armies to flight, dead received back from death through resurrection, some tortured, (coughs) refusing, (laughs) refusing to accept release because they were hoping for a better life. They were mocked, they were flogged, they were put in chains, they were imprisoned, stoned, sawn in two, killed with a sword, went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, wandering around in deserts and mountains. That's what faith looks like. That's the characteristic of faith. Confident, hopeful, convicted faith is willing to do whatever God calls us to do. Go where he calls us to go. Follow where he leads, wherever that may be.
All these, he says, did not receive the promises, even though they had a conviction of things not seen, even though they hoped for it with great assurance. And he tells us why. Verse 40, since God provided something better for us, that apart from us they shouldn't be made perfect. What's he talking about there? He's just going back to the same theme he's been pounding on for ten chapters. Jesus. What do we have that they looked forward to? Jesus, the Messiah, the promised one, the seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham, the seed of David, the prophet greater than Moses, the better priest, the better sacrifice. Those heroes of the faith aren't perfected, aren't sanctified, aren't glorified, aren't made perfect apart from us. What does that mean? Practically speaking, it means this. Folks, <laughs> we're all in this together. The people of God are the same throughout history. Salvation is the same throughout history. Faith is the same throughout history. We share the same faith. We share the same promises. We share the same destiny. Eternal life with each other and with Jesus our Savior. Salvation is the same from beginning to end. It's always by grace. It's always through faith. And it's a confident faith, and it's a certain faith, and it's a faith that bears fruit in how we live our lives. So we're coming to our end of our time together as a congregation. Mission PCA will cease to exist, but important and essential truths remain. We're in this together, even though we may scatter to different congregations, even though we may scatter around the country, as already some of us have started to do. No matter how far apart we are from one another, separated by distance or time or any other thing, we are the same people of God. We have the same faith. We do not shrink back, but we are sure we are confident. We're not confident in ourselves. (laughs) Believe you me. We're not confident in our church, because it's better than others. We're not confident in our pastor. We're not more confident in our (coughs) particular expression of the faith. We're confident in one common thing. The God who sent his Son, Jesus Christ, to live and to die for our salvation. The God who kept his promises, made centuries and millennia before, kept them in Christ, and will keep his remaining promises to those who confidently approach him through repentance and faith in Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we do thank you for Christ. We thank you for all that he's done. We pray that you would... (laughs) plant in us and cause to grow within us a confident, certain, convicted faith that we would have that assurance of things hoped for, your promises, that we would have a certain conviction of things that we haven't yet seen, that you would increase our faith because we are people of little faith and we need the work of your Holy Spirit to increase our faith. Do this. Wherever we go, wherever we may be, through the faithful preaching and teaching of your word, help us to study it on our own, help us to learn it on our own. Pour out your Holy Spirit again to equip and enable us to be the people that you have called us to be. 
not just able to define faith, not just able to recognize its characteristics, but those who live our faith as a witness to those who are lost and dying around us. We cannot do this in our own power. We cannot do it in our own strength. So again, we ask for the Holy Spirit and your guidance and your help in doing the things that you have called us to do. We ask it in Christ's holy and wonderful name. Amen.